Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 137. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me again today are a pair of my illustrious teammates, Peyton Burton, Corey Gardner. Fellas, how we doing? I'm doing pretty good. Had a fun weekend. Um, got to see a Ohio State game against Michigan State. Ohio State scored like 10, 15 points at halftime. But other than that, you know, I'm doing good. I mean, thank God we went and recorded about 30 minutes earlier because as me and Corey was talking pre-game or pre-show, me and him was talking about the picking points that I'm going to post later tonight on Monday. And my damn chair broke, snapped in half. The backup snapped in half. And uh, just a little price here, this is what snapped in half. I took a little back bump. Thank God I've been watching wrestling my whole damn life and learning to tuck my chin because I just smacked my head off my damn floor here. But other than that, I'm doing good, Corey. How about you, man? Oh, I'm doing great. I uh, I completed my move this weekend, moved back to Indiana for the time being officially. So uh, I was gone for 34 hours and I was on the road for 26 of it. So uh, it was a little bit of a long weekend, but glad to be uh, glad to have it done and glad to be back uh, talking college basketball. Yeah, we were all three on the road at some point this week. Peyton alluded to it. We were at the Ohio State-Michigan State game. Great time. Uh, you know, you hear some stuff about Columbus, Ohio, but the parts we were in, I really enjoyed it. I like the city of Columbus, Ohio, and um, great. I, you know, the Value City Arena is what I still call it. It's the Schottenstein Arena now or the Schottenstein Center, whatever. But um, it's a good place to watch college basketball. It, it really is. The game itself was not good. I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about that here later on. But it was a fun experience. So we thank the people at Ohio State. And, um, yeah, it was good to see Tom Izzo's ball club in action they are getting better like i said i'm sure we will briefly discuss that here in a little bit but as always guys this podcast is presented by and in part with the house of college hoops go to our site now house dash house enterprise.com for more information great collection of people and writers over there we're glad to be a part of the group and be remiss if i didn't mention that this year's ep- or this episode is brought to you by our title sponsor of everything college basketball this year beauty to beast nutrition located in downtown edinburgh indiana it is a healthy juice bar get yourself a protein coffee a skinny shot tea all the goodies without all the bad side effects stop in and tell them the ecb sent you for 10 percent off your entire purchase and for those who are watching along with us live on the twitter the youtube and the facebook group we appreciate you joining fun leave your comments below we'll get to them as they roll in and our, our guy, Phil, was going to be here with us today, got called in late to work for a big meeting, so he will hopefully resume with us on episode 138 for the midweek special. Now that that's kind of all out of the way, before we get into looking back at the weekend's games, a couple things that kind of came up recently that I just want to dive into real quick. Let's start with the Mike Brace situation. A week or two ago, whenever it was, when the news came out, that he would be retiring at the end of the year. We discussed that potential suitors. We talked about a potential Porter Mosier coming over from Oklahoma. But now just a couple hours ago, it came out from Jeff Goodman that he's insinuating that Mike Bray is not necessarily retiring from coaching. He is more or less leaving Notre Dame. 
which kind of goes in theory. If you go back when we talked about the Mike Brace situation, I think I mentioned it there that I'd heard rumblings that Notre Dame kind of wanted to part ways with him anyways, and this might have been the way to do it. Now that we hear Mike Bray is maybe not done, just done with Notre Dame, your guys' initial thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I mean, we kind of discussed it a little bit at the time. It was like, you know, Notre Dame basketball had had some really high, you know, really high highs and, you know, it had some, you know, middle of the class and things have kind of turned for a little bit of a downward spiral. And, you know, Notre Dame is, uh, you know, a heavy athletic university and have their own, you know, specific deals. And it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta put a good quality product on the court every weekend, especially in the ACC. And they're kind of falling to the bottom half of it. And I think, uh, I think as every, you know, alumni and uh, everybody kind of speaks out and, you know, they want some kind of change. And, you know, it was kind of him coming out saying that he was leaving on his own, but I think, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of big news to say that now suddenly he's looking at taking another job and just retiring from Notre Dame. So, it definitely is a, a wild west of uh, college athletics for sure. Peyton, we hear a lot about Georgetown potentially being open. Um, now, obviously, nothing official, but it seems to be trending that way with the Patrick Ewing deal. Mike Bray is from the DMV. I've started to see on Twitter now that his name be floated around because he's from the area. Your thoughts on potentially Mike Bray back in back in his home area, leading the Georgetown Hoyas? I don't like it. Um, I don't think it's a good fit. Uh, the Notre Dame's 10-15 this year, and it's not due to lack of talent. I mean, they got talented guys. They got a five-star recruit, top 15 recruit that came in this year, J.J. Starling. Um, they got a couple grad transfers, Marcus Hammond, Van Allen, Lubin, Dane Goodwin's back for his senior year. I mean, they got talented. They got Nate Lezeski's back for his final year. They've got a talented roster. I just don't – they can't – they can't buy to win a game. I mean, they're 10 or 15, and a lot of these losses have been not really close. And the games that were close, they just they don't execute down the stretch. Um, I don't like the hire, and especially if you're a Georgetown, I mean, you've made one tournament, what, in the last four years? Something like that since Patrick Ewan's been there and when you won the Big East tournament in the COVID year or post-COVID year. And if you're Georgetown, you're coming off as a struggled season. You've been dog shit all year so far and why would you take a hit on a guy or a coach that's struggling at his own place right now in another game in the ACC mm-hmm. conference that's probably better oh it's not this year but normally better than the Big East conference I don't know I don't really like uh, the but option of Mike Brain going to on. Georgetown hold on you, you gotta think this though the way that came across is Mike Bray's not a good coach like Mike Bray's a really good coach he's had a few down years like, they've not been good the last couple of years. But historically, you look at his tenure at Notre Dame, they're a traditional tournament team. He made back-to-back Elite Eights. The dude can flat-out coach. Maybe his time is running thin at Notre Dame. But if you're Georgetown as well, you're probably not going to get a home run higher. Like, let's get that out the way. You're probably not going to get a home run higher. So if you can't get, like, a Rick Patino, I think Mike Bray would be a good option. I, I, I just feel – and plus, he knows the area – it would be steady. They would be a lot better under him than what they've been under Patrick Ewing. I mean, that's all you really can ask for, Corey. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the other side of it is, I mean, he's coached already at Notre Dame, which is a high academic, you know, school and has, you know, very strict requirements to get into school and stuff like that. So you kind of have to watch the the talent that you bring in and try and get the, 
the right kind of you know personnel and it's like the same exact thing as georgetown georgetown's what an eighty thousand dollar a year school that's very academic focused and stuff like that so he's already kind of you know as you mentioned he knows the area but he also on top of that already has the the skill set to kind of know what kind of what kind of kids to bring into a school that would succeed in an area like that it's a little bit more academic focus where you know some of the things can't slide under the table like at some other universities as well yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. And uh, Georgetown, obviously, is not a set thing. Like, they might not even target him. i just seen the name float around. But it will be interesting to see Mike Bray's next step. If he is not done coaching, what happens Notre Dame, as we've talked about in the past? What now happens with Mike Bray? The Georgetown option does make sense to me. But the other thing, before we get into talking about games from this past week, and I want to be real brief on this because I don't know how to touch this. But I feel like we've got to talk about it some, and that's the New Mexico State deal. Um, they, they came out the other day that the program is shutting down for the rest of the year. Uh, they've been under a hell of investigations and scandals. Uh, misconduct, I think, would be the best word to put it. Without going into too much detail, because if you want to find great detail, and I know you're not supposed to plug other shows, but Jeff Goodman broke it down on the field of 68 the other day. In full detail, so if you want to know all the details, go check that episode out. But Corey, Peyton, this is a bad deal, man. And this is a program that you think about it when Chris Jans was there. The program was getting right. They were making NCAA tournaments. They had good talent come through there. And now it is a complete disaster. Kind of your guys' thoughts on this whole New Mexico State deal. Yeah, well, I think it kind of started in the fall back with the shooting. You know, one of the players on – uh, New Mexico's campus prior to the game and stuff like that. And it just seems like the wheels continue to fall and off the, uh, the cart as it kind of continues through the season. It's just like, you know, the, just the overall lack of discipline and lack of everything. I mean, I know I was reading on it a little bit today and it just seems like there's more and more things that continue to pop up. I mean, you know, it's been, you know, more and more mistreatment, of, you know, amongst teammates to now there's, you know, something about, the coaching staff and just like there's just a lot going on so um i think it's just been it's been a little bit of an ongoing thing and i know at one point new mexico state actually hired an outside investigation team to come in and figure out what was going on and i know things didn't come back very well for that and i think it just continues to build as well so um yeah uh, a very bad situation i mean you think of it an entire team's losing out an entire year now uh, basically getting shut down so uh what ends up coming out i'm not really sure but yeah yeah, I don't even know too much about this situation. I'm looking at the ESPN report right now and just reading some of the stuff that they're talking about. It seems like this has been going on since last July, August. So it's been going on for a while now, and just now the news is starting to break, and it's, it sucks for the program. I mean, nothing you don't want anything like this to happen at any level of sporting event or sporting team. So sucks. I'm sure we're going to find out more details coming in the before the season ends. Uh, it's a tough situation to talk about, though. Yeah, it's definitely a developing situation, but what we do know is New Mexico State's program, for the season at least, is done. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. Once more details and finality comes to it, we will have it live here for you on ECB. But let's get into some more exciting stuff. Let's talk about, I guess, the biggest news from this last Saturday's slate of games. Let's go straight into the Duke-Virginia game, the non-call, no-call scenario that saw... Kyle Filipowski 
get to the rim for a game-winning dunk opportunity. Reese Beekman goes up and meets him at the rim. And from there, chaos ensued. Fellow, know how Peyton feels, Corey. I think I, I think I know how you feel. And it's not often that you'll ever hear us in years past and probably years moving forward, but say this, but Duke absolutely got hosed in this call. And Coach Shire found out real quick, he does not get the same benefit of the whistle that Coach K got. Um, your guys' thoughts on this. Virginia escapes in overtime, but realistically, Filipowski should have been at the line with basically no time left to win the game for Duke. Yeah, no, absolutely. You said we're moving on to bigger, you know, our happier times. As, you know, for people that are Duke fans that are listening into us, they're, they're definitely not in happy times right now. So, uh, no, you know, I'll be the first person to say that I'm not a Duke fan by any means. But it's it's just mind-blowing that, you know, referees that are in the ACC conference and, you know, later on in the season that are still getting assigned to games screw up a call and don't don't understand the full, re, or full rule set on it. I mean, and, you know, kind of kind of hearing the explanation that the ACC point, put out afterwards and, you know, taking fault to it. And, I mean, it's just – I mean, I, I did love the fact that Tony Bennett came out and was like, hey, you know, I didn't see what happened, so I can't comment. It's like, oh, it's amazing. Amazing how the winning coach has yeah. that, you know, well, sight. Even, even Reese Beekman, the guy involved in the foul, non-call, said in an interview that he fouled him. Yeah. Like, he, oh, he yeah. said no. that he fouled him in every angle – the television angle, the multiple views that ESPN has, yeah. and the camera or the crowd view that you have from cell phone footage, every angle shows that that's a foul. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, it's like like they said, you know, even even as time expires, the the play finishes when the player lands and completes the full action. And it's like you know the fact that the refs completely blew that, and it's like no matter what, he got fouled with times on the clock, but he still continued to get fouled through the horn and through the, you know, the light coming on on the backboard. And it's like, you know, throughout that entire thing, he was getting fouled. Like, how do you miss that? How does, I mean, and Duke 100% got screwed out of this game. I don't like blaming the West for a loss, but this is too blatant that I got to because Duke definitely got, they got hosed in this one. I mean, Kyle Filipowski, he slipped down to the, to the rim, and I do agree with Phil when he's mentioning this. Why is he trying to dunk that? Uh, just go up for the layup. Maybe that. Maybe he doesn't get fouled then, but maybe he makes it. I don't know. But anyways, I mean, Duke, I mean, they played very well in this game. Besides turnovers, they had 22 turnovers compared to Virginia's nine. That You can't do that. You got to take care of the ball, especially on the road in a game that you really need to win um, to get some momentum back for the rest of the season. But Duke, if you look at the stats and you just watch the game, Duke outplayed them in every which way possible. They outshot them for three, 39% for Duke, 9 of 23. And if you're going to play a Virginia, Tony Bennett-type defense, you're going to have to stretch it out and hit some shots, and they did that. They shot better from the free throw line, 9 of 12, 75%. They out-rebounded Virginia, 39 to Virginia's 24. Only difference is, is the, the turnover was 22 and 9, like I mentioned. Kyle Filipowski only had 6 points. He played 30 minutes. He had probably his worst game of the season so far. Tyrese Proctor played very well, played 41 minutes, 14 points, 4 assists, 4 rebound, but it came down to that last play, and Filipowski should have been on the line. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. He should have been on the line. Well, He's a good free throw, free throw shooter, and all he needs to do is hit one, and the game's over. 
here's the official i mean it's kind of long-winded so i'll do my best to get through it quickly but here's the official statement from the acc in regards to this a foul was called on virginia's ryan dunn during a shot attempt by duke's kyle filipowski as time expired upon the official's review of the play it was determined that the foul committed occurred after the clock reached 0.0 however the play should have resulted in two free throws for duke then it goes on per the rules and different sectors of the rule book explaining why that this was a missed call even they came back it does duke no good now after the fact but they admitted that they were wrong and peyton you mentioned um this even in the loss duke looked good here and they needed it after getting their ass whooped by miami duke looked good here and honestly should have stole a win on the road against a really good virginia team and it really is unfortunate and i joked about it at the top of this that uh Shire found out real quick he does not get Coach K calls because I guarantee you if that was Coach K on the sideline, that's called a foul and Phil Pauski shooting free throws <laughs> to win the game here. Um, absolutely, absolutely. But, and, hey, and, shout out to Shire for drawing up a heck of a play to get, you know, get oh, an opportunity. And I called that, by the way. I was going to say Peyton <laughs> called it. We were watching it at the hotel room over in Columbus, Ohio. We had just gotten over there. And um, we've seen the play develop, and Peyton goes, oh, he's wide open on the slip. And sure yep. as hell, he was wide open on the slip. And, and credit to Reese Speakman and them for trying to make a play, but that should have been a foul call. I, I did love the fact, if you go back just to the last episode 136, I was talking about a guy like Jacob Grandison. He has some clutch <laughs> shots in this game. 11 points, three threes in this game. They need more of that from him if Duke wants to make some sort of run in March. It was nice to see, but man, it's not often you say that you feel bad for Duke, but I really feel bad for Duke in this one. And this was Dweek Whitehead's first game back after being injured, after uh, going out of the Virginia Tech game about a couple weeks ago. So this is his first game back. He played 25 minutes, 10 points, four, <clears throat> four rebounds. Uh, Virginia, uh, you mentioned Reese Beekman. Defensively, he did a great job, uh, especially guarding guys like Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach. All main Franklin, I mean, I love this kid. He is so damn good. 37 minutes, 23 points. He had some big-time shots late in the stretch in overtime uh, to really stretch this lead out for Virginia allow him to win and last thing I'll say on this game hey shout out to the Kinta that we stayed at in Columbus Ohio because as soon as we walked into the hotel we turned the TV on they already had the game on ESPN waiting for us so they knew we were coming so shout out to them we didn't have to uh, channel surf to find the game they already had it on for us and, and fellas how about this and if you're the Virginia side obviously you're very happy that you were able to win this game in overtime because it keeps you alive to win the ACC regular season conference title and if you're also the Virginia side, you can look at the stat line and say, man, we didn't play well. And look at the free throw line specifically. They go 9 of 22 from the foul line. It, there could be an argument to be made that, hey, if we hit our free throws, that final play doesn't matter at the end of the game. 9 of 22 from the foul line from Virginia. So now I ask the question to both of you. This game's over with. Duke loses. They're 17 and 8, 8 and 6 in the conference. Virginia moves to 19 and 4. They are 11 and 3 in the conference, as I mentioned, still in the uh, still in the hunt to win the ACC regular season crown. Where do both teams go from here? Uh, as we look ahead down the final 3 weeks of the regular season, what did you see from both teams in this game specifically moving forward? 
For Virginia, I think offensively they still got to get a little, little bit better. Uh, you may, and free throw wise, I mean, you mentioned it, nine of twenty-two from free throw line. Uh, you squeaked by Duke in a game that you honestly probably shouldn't have even won. Uh, Filipowski, if he gets fouled, he goes to the free throw line. All he has to do, like I mentioned earlier, is hit one of those free throws, and the game's over, and you end up losing. But right now, Virginia, I mean, they've won a shit ton of games. They're nineteen and four. They're eleven and three in the conference. I'm, sh- I think, I don't know what the ACC standings are. They're, they're actually in first place. Them and Pittsburgh right now are tied for first place. Duke is sitting, I think, 8th or 7th or 8th. We're sitting mid-table, 8-6, and six, three games back out of first place. Virginia, I think they're going to win the conference now. I think this game alone really just set them ahead of pretty much everyone else. I think Pittsburgh's going to drop a game here soon. And Duke, well, I still have my questions about Duke. Dweek Whitehead, I'm curious to see how they get when Dweek Whitehead gets fully healthy. Because um, like I mentioned earlier, it was his first game back after a couple weeks of being injured. But Virginia offensively is still an issue, and I think they got to get better on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think, you know, the ceiling for Virginia is still not really set. Uh, I think, you know, they, they can still, you know, compete for that one or two seed. Um, the biggest thing is just being, you know, being consistent at the offensive end. Uh, you know, they've always defended well, and it's just, you know, kind of figuring it out for both sides to really compete when it comes to March. Uh, Duke, I think there's just way too many questions right now of, you know, guys getting healthy and guys really getting stuff figured out to really see where they end up. Um, just because they are Duke, I think they'll be in the, you know, the tournament no matter what. But, you know, it's just it's just where where they get in and, you know, if they can make it past that first weekend. Well, let's move on. It was our ECB pick weekly pick em game of the day in the best conference in college basketball this year. And a game we all predicted that Baylor would comfortably win, but it did not go that way. They still won, which makes them winners of nine of their last ten, one of the hottest teams in college basketball. They go to TCU and win 72-68. And if you look at the stat line, you would think that there's no way that TCU should be this close. Baylor goes tw- or 10 of 26 from the three-point line, shooting 38.5%. Uh, on the flip side, TCU goes 2 of 10. Those stats here on out kind of even uh, turnovers. It was Baylor 12, TCU 13. TCU did win the offensive rebounding category by four, but you know Baylor hit eight more threes than TCU and only won by four. Peyton, talk to me about this, the resilience of this TCU team, and then how good is Baylor? We've seen Jonathan Chamley Chachua back. He played 25 minutes in this ballgame, did not score, but had seven rebounds. You're already starting to see his inside presence. He doesn't have to score the ball. LJ Cryer goes for 23. Adam Flagler, 28. Uh, very quiet game from the star fresh from Keontae George. And then TCU gets 16 points and 10 assists out of Damian Ball. No Mike Miles again in this game. Peyton, why was this game so close? Well, Damian Ball was incredible. He was flirting with a triple-double. He had 16 points, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. He was incredible. Jacoby Coles came off the bench, had 15 points, 3 assists, 5 rebounds. Emmanuel Miller, 10 points, uh, for played 35 minutes. I mean, TCU played well despite not hitting shots and despite not having their best player, uh, their best scorer, Mike Miles in the floor. And I figured if he wasn't going to be the floor, I figured this was going to be probably a 10-point-plus uh, win for Baylor. And it wasn't. Dude, TCU had the lead. They were up, I think. Thank if I was memory correctly, because we was on the road heading to the uh, hotel, so I didn't get to watch too much of this game. Uh, but I think 
TCU is up like six or seven points, and Baylor had to make a run to get the lead back. And man, TCU had a chance to close this one out. Hats off to them. Baylor, I mean, 92% from the free throw line. They missed one free throw. 38% from the three-point line. 10 of 26. And they got the best. I said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to keep on saying it because it's the truth. They got their best backcourt in the country. You mentioned a guy like Keontae George did not play his best. He had four points. It don't matter because any given night, any game, at least two of those guys are going to go off for 20-plus and have a uh, big-time night. And Flagler had 28. He was the Kim Palm MVP. And Cryer was incredible, especially in this comeback. He had 23 points, three rebounds, two assists. Cryer got Try- MVP. Yeah. Cryer got MVP. He Not did. Flagler. Yeah, Cryer got MVP. Oh, I actually got extra points on that because I picked Cryer to for the MVP. But anyway, JTT's back, and you mentioned he don't have to score the ball. I mean, he had zero points, zero assists, but he had seven rebounds. His presence is just being a defensive anchor down low and getting rebounds. That's all he has to do, and he did that to the best of his ability. Baylor is really damn good. Corey, talk to us about the importance of getting a guy like Jonathan Chomley Chachwa back to clog up the middle and just do what he does, do the dirty work, per se, for Baylor. Yeah, which, I mean, the amazing thing is out of this game is TCU actually dominated in the paint. It's outscored Baylor 50, or, uh, 50 to 26 and still out rebounded them 32 26. So it's like, you know, that's that's honestly where they sit in the game and stuff. And it's like, you know, even even having, you know, some players back and stuff, you know, uh, they still were able to really dominate. And it was like, you know, the, you know, Payton kind of mentioned it, but it's like, you know, Baylor just continues to have, you know, a guard play that just step up in multiple places to really dominate the game. Um, you know, TCU had, what, Jacoby Coles had 15, and Emmanuel Miller had a 10, but it was like, you know, it still just wasn't enough. I mean, and honestly, this game was a heck of a lot closer than what we thought. Looking at the Big 12 standings as we set here, Texas still in the lead at 9-3, and three, and then you have Kansas-Baylor 8-4, and four, then Iowa State-Kansas State, and Oklahoma State at 7-5. and five. We're in the final three weeks, the final six games of the regular season. I asked it last week, or it was asked last week. I'll ask it again as we sit here on February 13th. Can Texas hold on to this one-game advantage and go ahead and win the Big 12 Conference? Or can a team like Kansas-Baylor end up stealing it? I don't, as good as Texas has been this year, I don't think they're going to pull it out. Because, man, they still, the last three games of the season, they go at Baylor, they go at TCU, and then they get the home matchup in the Moody Center against Kansas last game of the year. Man, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to finish third like I predicted in our magazine. But, man, this race is getting tightening up. And this last stretch, these last, like, six games, last couple weeks, is going to be very intriguing to watch. But, you know, the good thing about you mentioned those last three, they played Kansas and Baylor. That Destiny is in their own hands. They win their, their conference champs. Like, they, they can't be passed. They win those games, they're conference champs. So destiny's in their own hands, despite it being a hard road to hoe, Corey. Yeah, no, I just was looking over, and it's like, you know, they have two really tough road games to end the year. Baylor kind of only has one. Um, you know, so I, I honestly think that, you know, there's a really good possibility that we end in a tie for the conference championship. I mean, I'm looking, honestly, Kansas has the easiest road to the end of the year with only the one game at Texas, and it's like, you know, so, I mean, even if they drop that one game, Baylor drops one game, and I think Texas has the potential to drop two. 
I think there's a possibility that we have, you know, a two or three way tie for the lead. Um, I think it's, I think it's a front rush of those three teams. I don't think the, the Kansas State or the Iowa State has a really an opportunity to kind of stay within the game or within the, the run at it anymore. I think it's a three man race. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't think that Texas will solely win it this year if they do. I think, you know, they have the potential to drop back. Let's move on. And I've said it for the last month and I stand by it. The best team in college basketball resides down in Alabama and they go in to their bitter rivals into a hostile environment with a good Auburn team. Game day was there. The building was rocking. Auburn gave a hell of a fight, but at the end of the day, Alabama wins another game, 77-69. Alabama, their last three games in SEC play, each of their three opponents, LSU, Florida, and Auburn, have scored 69 points. The last time Alabama gave up 70 points, you have to go back to their Gonzaga loss on December 17th, the last time an opposing team scored 70 points. Alabama, we've talked so much about their explosive offense, how they get out in transition, their NBA size, the way they shoot the three, their go-to playmaker and star and Brandon Miller. They're 13th in Ken Palm for adjusted offense. They are fifth in the country in defense. The area of the floor that we don't talk enough about. A team has not scored 70 points on them or more since they lost 100-90 to back in mid-December to Gonzaga, fellas. All or sorry, Alabama is the best team in the country, and I will stick by this. And Saturday down on the plains was another prime example of this. Uh, talk to me about the Crimson Tide because good luck beating them right now. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you mentioned it, it was like you know, as well as Alabama usually shoots the three. I mean, they they were 44 to 20 advantage in the paint, so it's like you know, another team that. You know, just has multiple weapons and has multiple ways to score the basketball. I mean, they're six to twenty-one and shot twenty-eight percent from three, and still continue to win games. You know, I mean, they shot fifty-nine percent from the floor because they attacked and they knew how to finish around the rim. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Brandon uh, Brandon Miller only uh, goes for thirteen, doesn't have a huge game, but it's like other people continue to step up. Sears, Bradley, uh, Griffin. I mean, it's like there's so many different options for this Alabama team that there's no chance. And, you know, Bruce Pearl said it perfectly. He's like, you know, we played a great game and we still couldn't compete with the best team in the land. Peyton, I, I gave some interesting stats offensive and defensively. Here's some other ones that are interesting. In adjusted tempo, they are second. They play the second fastest pace in college basketball. Adjusted possession length, they are third. The, their possessions are only taking 15 seconds per shot clock. Uh, on the defensive side, they're second in effective field goal percentage. Teams are shooting an average of 41.1%. They're the second best team at defending the three-point shot. Teams are shooting a paltry 26.3% from three against them, and they're the number one team defending inside the arc. Teams are shooting 41.9% at two-point land against the Crimson Tide. Again, how do you beat Alabama, and how are you going to tell me that Alabama is not the best team in the country? 
they're the best team in the country right now. But once we get into tournament play, any, anything can happen. And the, the style they play, I mean, they, if they have an off night in the tournament, then they can be beat. I mean, they had an off night against Oklahoma and got ran out of the gym in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And I get, yeah, they didn't they didn't shoot the ball well in this game, 28.6%, 6 of 21. But they're playing an Auburn team who did not shoot the, well, the ball well from three either. The ability to hit shots against Alabama is key. You mentioned they defend the three ball really well. But there's ever a night oh, yeah. in the tournament. What? By the way, I am so sorry. I, I forgot that I skipped over that Oklahoma. Oklahoma put up ninety three on them, so I, I apologize about that. The the seventy stat, but still, it, you'd have to go back to the Gonzaga game. Basically, teams aren't scoring more than seventy on them. Yeah, so yeah, I apologize it, about that. But go yeah, ahead. It, yeah, it's been a while. But like I was saying, I mean, all of them, they didn't shoot the ball well from three at all. So they're in the same boat as Bama, and Bama ended up winning this game. And I just want to say something. I'd hold off and say Auburn's a good team because they've lost one. They've lost uh, the Lexus games. They've lost five of them. I don't think Auburn's a good team. I think they're okay. And they just had a night where they just played ridiculously good, which can just prone to happen in big time rivalry games. Window Green Jr. probably had the best game of his career or the best game of the season so far. He had 24 points. But Corey mentioned a guy like uh, Ryland Griffin came off the bench for Bama, who's a freshman, 16 points. He led them in scoring, man. Brandon Miller's probably the best player on the floor all around game. But, man, I don't think they won this if it wasn't for Ryland Griffin because he had made some big-time major plays late in the stretch when Bama was starting to come back and really took the lead. And once they took the lead with the last couple minutes left to go, Auburn just didn't have the firepower to come back and win this game. Yeah, and Ryland Griffin, you know, Ken Palm MVP in this game, hit three threes for 16 points, as you both mentioned. Uh, and it cut into a, a guy like Javon Quinterlin who played 11 minutes. It wasn't because of foul trouble. It's just another guy stepped up. They are just – they're loaded. We, we've talked about them. They are loaded. They, they got the transfer Mark Sears in. They've got the big guys down low in Bediaco and Clowney protecting the rim. A guy like Jaden Bradley, 12 points in this game, flies under the radar, helps them out defensively as well as on the offensive end. We forgot about the former Texas Tech man, Namari Burnett. 17 minutes in this game, five points, but he helps facilitate the ball, continue the offense flow. It's sort of an experienced guy. Been around for a minute. This is an Alabama team that is loaded. You look at Auburn, though, you know, really good game. They just couldn't withstand the Alabama charge once Alabama really started to make the push there. Uh, Wendell Green, 24 points in this game, uh, you know, took 19 shots, but he kind of had to in a way for this or Auburn team. I, something's missing with Auburn. Like, you look at their pieces, and they got a decent backcourt, but they you, you don't trust them. It's kind of like last year we talked about Wendell Green, Allen Flanagan, and Katie Johnson. When they're good, they're really good. But when they're bad, they're really bad, and they're just not consistent enough. Johnny Broom, uh, nice pickup for Moorhead State. But, yeah, something's missing with Auburn, but they put up a hell of a fight, and Alabama is just – they're that good, fellas. They are that good. Let's take a look at the S. SEC comp standings. Alabama is unbeaten right now at 12 and 0. More than likely going to win the conference. Texas AM is second at 10 and 2. Then you got Tennessee at 8 and 4. And then you got a couple teams at 7 and 5. Auburn, Kentucky, Missouri, all fighting for a, the double by in the SEC tournament. Alabama, I think the question here do they go unbeaten in the SEC regular season? Well, I mean, they got a big one this week. The only matchup they play against Tennessee that we'll talk about later. And if they can win that game, then, yeah, I think they go unbeaten because, I mean, the last game of the season, you mentioned the guy, the team in second place is Texas A&M, which is two games back out of first place out of Alabama. And that's the last game of the season. So 
If Texas A&M wants to pull an upset and somehow win a share of the conference, they really need Bama to lose at least one of those games, and the Texas A&M's got to beat them um, in the last game of the season. But I don't see that happening. Uh, I think I think they have a good, if they beat Tennessee this week, Bama. If they beat Tennessee this week, then I think Bama goes undefeated in conference play. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think Bama's easily the best team in the land right now. Um, Without a doubt, and I think if they get past this weekend with Tennessee, then they kind of roll through the rest of the year uh, and just continue to build confidence and you know continue to show what they can do. I don't think there's anybody that can compete. Let's stay in the SEC real quick as we rapid fire a couple of these. Tennessee, we talked about them last week. They they lose at the buzzer on the road at Vandy, and it, history repeated itself again, but this time in Thompson Bowling Arena, the Vols lose 86-85 to the visiting Missouri Tigers after DeAndre Golson hits a major onions buzzer beater. He ends up with 18 points. Kobe Brown, one of the candidates for SEC Player of the Year, especially the first team for sure. Missouri wins on a buzzer beater. That is two in a row for Tennessee. They have lost at the horn. Uh, thoughts on this one real quick. I mean, they hats off to Tennessee for even coming back in this game because they were down 12 points going into the second half. They were down 44 to 32. And they I were down 17 at one point. Yeah, they were down 32. Yeah, they were down 17 at one point. And they f- scored 53 points in the second half, which is huge for them because the offensive consistency has not been great this year. To score 53 points in the second half is a big step forward for them. But they still lost the game with Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, Kobe Brown is a dog, man. I love that kid. He is a phenomenal. Definitely a candidate for SEC first team uh, this year. Probably is going to be my first, my first team this year. But, I mean, both teams shot the lights out from three. 53% for, or 54% for Missouri, and Tennessee shot 43% from three. They just couldn't get it done. They got rebounded Missouri 37-24. They just couldn't finish games. And I don't understand why a five-star recruit and Julian Phillips is only playing 10 minutes. Four points. Like, why is he not getting shots? Like, if they are missing a go-to guy down the stretch. And Julian Phillips can be that type of dude. Rick Barnes just has to run plays for him. Get him the ball and just let him go. I don't understand it. Corey? Yeah, no, Peyton kind of touched on and, You know, I don't know how many times we've mentioned it. And it's almost beating a dead horse. But it's like Tennessee is just way too inconsistent right now to be a top contending team. And it just continues to show they just can't put teams away. They're inconsistent in the first half. They finally figure it out in the second half and look like a, a good team that they should be. And, you know, put up the 51 points. But it's like, they just they don't have what it takes to really compete to put teams away and really you know do uh, do exactly what we expected them to do this year you know being that top team top tier team and and when you have the number one defense in the country um, and you hit 12 threes for a very struggling offense you got to win that game but on the flip side Missouri hits 14 of 26 threes. This is who Missouri, we talked about it when they beat Kentucky and kind of got on the map. And when they beat Illinois, Missouri, when they hit their threes, the way they full court press and run on makes and misses, they are a very dangerous team. And I'm saying it here right now. Missouri should be a tournament team. They are, what's their record right now? Missouri is, uh, they're 19 and six. So they should be a tournament team barring a late season collapse here. Missouri gets in the tournament. The way they shoot the ball, I'm telling you, that has an upset over somebody. One of the top seeds, if you're a top four seed and see Missouri in the first or second round, 
That could be a very dangerous matchup. Very dangerous. Julian Phillips is a top 30 crew coming into this year. Played 10 minutes of this game. He shot one time. What are we doing? I, I don't know. Let's move I on because I'm getting pissed off even thinking I, about that. Like, what are we doing now? <laughs> I mean, Heartbreak City, though. Tennessee's lost two in a row on back-to-back buzzer beaters. It's going to be interesting because you kind of alluded to it. They got Alabama coming up. We'll preview here in a little bit. Um, let's go to the Big Ten, Corey. Your guys, three in a row now. Winners of what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of their last nine after losing three in a row. The Hoosiers are on a roll and uh, full discrepancy in our ECB top 25 poll. I voted on my personal ballot. I voted the Hoosiers up to 10th. I think they're as playing as well as anybody in the country right now. They go into Michigan after finally knocking off Rutgers for the first time in a couple of years. They go into Michigan. We're down, had no business winning this game. And in years past, the Hoosiers don't win this game, but they come out with a 62-61 victory. Uh, talk to us about your Hoosiers, Corey. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Indiana was trailing the majority of the game. Uh, really did not look, uh, I mean, looked good, but didn't just, they didn't have an answer for a couple things. Hunter Dickinson down low, you know, continued to kind of take Trace Jackson Davis and kind of, you know, fool him a lot. He expected him to go left and Dickinson went back right and just, you know, had a great finish around the paint. Um, Jet Howard had what, uh, what was it, 14 points? I think it was. Yeah, so he 12, had a yeah, 12 decent, points. 12 points. So, you know, he had a decent game. And that was kind of what we talked about is those two really had to step up huge to really compete in this game. Uh, Indiana relied heavily on Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Sapino. Uh, Trace went 28 points, uh, Jalen went 21, and, yeah, and you TJD know, the rest of the, 23 shots. Yeah, exactly. And so it was like, you know, he, uh, he was 11 for 23, you know, was 60% from the free throw line. Uh, and just Indiana didn't really have anybody else step up, tr- you know, truly, um, you know, on the offensive end. But at the same time, defensively, Miller Kopp had an absolute huge defensive stop right there at the end of the game. Uh, had a couple other plays, had the uh, the front on uh, Hunter Dickinson. The Galloway came away with a steal to kind of seal the deal and, you know, and give Indiana the, the opportunity for the win and stuff. So it's like, you know, they made the plays when they really needed to, and that's what Indiana did this game that they haven't done in years past. Is they actually, you know, hung around and then had the confidence to kind of close out the game late and, and was able to compete and finish. Well, if you look at the box score, I mean, Trace played all 40 minutes. He only had two fouls. The fact that he went against another big-time center and only had two fouls, played every minute of this game, is A, a good sign, but B, you can't be – I don't care how good he is. He can't play 40 minutes. Like he needs a breather yeah. here and there, and and that's with Malik Renault playing 17 minutes. No race well, stops in this game. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say like the one thing was is like, you know, they asked him if he needed somebody, and he was waving off, you know, uh, Mike Woodson not to take him out, and he flat out told him that he's going the distance in this game, and you know it was kind of talked about by you know the commentators, and you know it's like you know you can't you can't continue building or you're putting your body through that, you know it kind of goes down the stretch, you're gonna end up. You know, eventually the you're gonna wear yourself thin. It's like you got to take care of yourself, and Indiana's got to have somebody kind of step up to kind of assist in that in that sense. But so, yeah, and no race Thompson as we mentioned. Indiana went with a seven man rotation. No Caleb Banks in this game. No race Thompson. Uh, they they really shortened the leash here, and in, honestly, it came down to the Indiana's two best players and two most important players stepped up. You mentioned Trace with twenty eight and eleven. Jalen Hood-Shafino went for 21 in this game. And 
Peyton, Indiana during this win streak, they're hitting their free throws. 14 of 18 from the foul line. That is a huge step for an Indiana program that is trying to build off last year that was preseason Big Ten favorites that are starting to get the ship right and at the right time right now. Indiana plays defense the way they do. They get their best guys stepping up, and they hit their foul shots. Hoosiers, again, we said it after the Purdue game last week, Indiana is a team that can still make a Final Four. 100%. TJD, you mentioned it played 40 minutes in this game, 28 and 11. It's another double-double. I'm curious at how many double-doubles this dude's had this season. Uh, I know it's been a lot. He's been incredible for them. And I agree with you guys. 40 minutes, you can't be doing that, especially in February. Save that shit for March. Save it when you actually need him to play a full game, when you're down or in a close game like this. Um... You need to save the weight and tear on the tires. You can't be burning them out this early on. So, still a month left in the season. So, save them for Mar- save it for March. But Jalen Hitchfino, you know, we talked about it the last couple of games. Scoring wise, he hasn't been the greatest efficiency wise. But this game, I think he was a lot better. Twenty one points, eight of fifteen from the field. He had all of his free, th- free throws, four of four. But the biggest thing here, I mean, he had five assists, four rebounds. But the biggest thing I'm seeing right here with him is it's been a common thread the last couple, of, these really three games, and I think it needs to get cleaned up. IU as a team. Had 13 turnovers. Six of them, six of them came off the hands of Jalen Hutchinson, and that's your starting point guard. You gotta clean that shit up. Yeah, well, they're gonna. Mentioned it. Go ahead. Go. Ahead. I, I was just gonna right. mention to that point. They they're eventually to make a run to a Final Four or whatever. They need Xavier Johnson back. Like Hutchinson is doing an amazing job right now, but he needs the help in the backcourt. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and the the one thing that kind of worries you know, worries us is it's like the last couple games he's picked up a few fouls. He had three tonight. I think he had four uh, against Rutgers. And it's like, you know, who steps in as a, as a kind of point guard on the, you know, on the backside. Cause it's like, you know, Trey Galloway's kind of done it, but at the same time, he's not a true point guard. You know, he, he can create, he kind of come off the wing and stuff like that, but he just doesn't look the most comfortable. But the biggest thing also is, is, you know, just a random fact or stat I, I saw in Indiana is Indiana is actually 19, 19th in the country on three point percentage this year, uh, at thirty eight point like three percent or something like that for nineteenth place. Yeah, and they the shot them well. We talked about yeah. we talked about it, but, Corey. But they, they, but the side shooting. of it is been, they're three. Yeah, they're three hundred nineteenth though, or three hundred sixteenth on overall attempts. So the biggest thing is they they're shooting it well. They just don't use it very often. So. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a side of both things that, you know, they rely so heavily on the two-point shot, but they actually aren't shooting that poorly from three. No, and we've discussed this this year where their three-point percentage is really good this year. You said 38% is a really good percentage, but they're just not shooting a lot. But on the flip side, the ones they are shooting, they're making a good percentage of them. So it's like, I mean, whatever it is, it is working for IU. They're hanging their hat on the defensive end that we knew they would do hitting the threes that they do take, going, starting to hit from the foul line, and the Hoosiers are rolling right now. Let's stay in the Big Ten, a team that's now won three in a row, gets a monster win yesterday afternoon in the friendly confines of the Welsh Ryan Arena in Chicago, Illinois. Actually, Evanston, Illinois, but still. Northwestern, 64. Purdue, 58. What? the hell is going on boo booey potential first team all big 10 player 26 points and if you would have told me that northwestern pulls the upset over the ap number one ranked team in purdue 
number two in the ECB poll, that they were going to win, I would have told you Northwestern has to hit a bunch of threes. They go four of 22 from the three-point line. Fellas, what the hell is going on in Evanston right now? Northwestern to end the game went on a 19-5 to run to close this one out in Northwestern. Hats off to them. Chris Collins has done an amazing job this year. He's definitely a candidate for Big Ten Coach of the Year. And they are 100% a, t- a tournament team. Josh, you mentioned with IU about them being potential Final Four good and about them being top 10 in your uh, uh, rankings this week for ECB rankings. Well, Northwestern, I have them ranked 25th. Uh, in my ECB rankings this week, because I think they deserve it. They're what? What's the overall record? Like 18 and 7? 18, yeah, 18, 18 and 7. They've won three in a row. I mean, and these three games that they've won, they've been pretty tough. They had to go at Wisconsin, which is very tough to do. Had to go at Ohio State, won that game by six, and then beat the number one team in the land in Purdue while being down and had to make a 19, uh, made a huge comeback to even win this game. Boo Bully was a star of the show. You mentioned he had 26 points, 9 of 20 from the field, and they did this all without shooting 18% from the three-point line. Man, what a game for them. Hats off to Chris Collins and hats off to Northwestern. You got it done, man. And Corey, Corey, what do we think of Purdue? Um, For so long, they look uh, unbeatable. You know, now they've lost two of their last three, you know, starting to kind of come back down to earth. Zach Eady does not go for a double-double in this game. 24 points. He led the way for the Boilermakers. But they only had eight rebounds. Uh, did Indiana and Northwestern show you the blueprint of how to beat Purdue by sending double teams at different angles, not always from the top of the key, not always from the backside, but from different angles to keep him guessing and get up after the freshman guards and make them make mistakes. Uh, Purdue, another 16 turnovers in this game. Purdue is turning the ball over like they're a turnover at Arby's. Uh, what is going on with Purdue right now? Yeah, no, you kind of touched it. It's like the freshmen are playing what, like, freshmen you expect. You know, they had that really high high, and it's like now all of a sudden it's like they're cooling off. And it's like, you know, can you can you write the freshmen back on? Or, you know, are they going to continue to fall? And it's like, you know, being that, you know, being a freshman competing at the high level, you know, eventually there's going to be that let off. And it's like, you know, can, can you get them back in line? Uh, you know, Smith has a you know another content or a huge turnover. Braden Smith has another huge turnover down the stretch. He had one against Indiana, and then he goes and throws you know flips the ball uh, for another turnover uh, to Northwestern. They kind of you know sealed the sealed the deal. But you know you kind of mentioned on it perfectly. Northwestern and Indiana both kind of threw double teams at different times, different areas. You know coming from. And forced Edie into another six turnovers in the last, you know, in those two games, he's had double-digit turnovers. You know, he's still scoring, but at the same time, he's not getting the rebounds like he was. Um, you know, he's not he's not dishing out and having the assists that he was to really, you know, swing the offense. And it's like, you know, I mean, Purdue looks like they're not in as good a shape as what we kind of expected. And they're kind of looking like they're coming back down. And instead of being up at their highest point right now, it looks like the Big Ten race is getting a little bit tighter. And it's a bad time of the year to start finding flaws in your team's games. Are we? Are I mean, 
Yeah, my bad. I thought you were talking. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a bad it's a, it's a bad time of the year to start finding flaws in your team's games. I mean, I mentioned in our group chat, and me and Corey talked about it before the show start. The blueprints not only been laid out to how to defend Zach Eady this year, but the blueprints been laid out on how to beat Purdue this year. They are very beatable in the tournament when it gets it comes down to tournament play. They got the guard play. Josh, we mentioned it before. The freshman guards—they've been great to start the year off, and these big time games and big time moments like these, they faltered and they, they've had a lot of freshman mistakes. Can it be fixed? Yes. We're under a month away from Selection Sunday. They have time. Matt Painter has time to get this shit fixed and get it figured out before they head into uh, the conference tournament and they head into March Madness. But it's not going to be fixed here soon. And you mentioned Zach Eady. He had six turnovers. Six turnovers. The the run that Northwestern did, they had, they double team him, like you mentioned, from different angles, and he could not read them all. And he turned the ball over a lot. Foul or not, whether he got mugged or not, it doesn't matter. He turned the ball over way too much despite having 24 points. And the blueprints laid out. They can beat, they can be beat, and they're very beatable when it comes to March. Yeah, it's it's really interesting case study of Purdue right now because you do wonder if the freshmen are hitting kind of that wall now because if Edie's going to score points, like he regardless what he happens, he's going to score points. But if his other complementary role players, the backcourt of Smith and Lawyer or Mason Gillis off the bench or Brandon Newman or Ethan Morton or whoever it may be, if they are not helping facilitate and carry that load somewhat. The, the way to beat Purdue is what we've talked about. Double team ED from different angles. Get up after the guards. Put a lot of ball pressure on them. Let ED get his points and then shut everybody else down. That's how you're going to beat Purdue. Push the action when you have it in transition. Purdue's remaining schedule at Maryland. Home against Ohio State and Indiana. Away at Wisconsin. Home against Illinois. I see at least potentially, I'm not saying they lose them, it potentially three more losses. And that really makes things interesting. That gives them six on the year. Makes things interesting. Real quick, let's look at the Big Ten wraparound. Purdue leads the conference. They built themselves a nice shot, starting to reel back in a little bit. Purdue's 12 and 3. Indiana and Northwestern tied for second at 9 and 5. Illinois a half game behind them in the wins column at 8 and 5. And then you have a whole host of teams, Rutgers, Maryland, Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, all at eight and six. I still think Purdue wins this conference. But what's the odds that this thing gets reeled back and then an Indiana or a Northwestern at least can share a piece of the Big Ten Conference? I think it's 100% realistic. I mean, the the road down the final stretch, I mean, looking at it for Indiana, it's very, very friendly for them, in my opinion. I mean, they have the game at Michigan State and at Purdue um, that I think will be a little bit of a competition. I think, you know, Indiana, if they're playing like they are, I think Michigan State is not the one that we were worried about. I think there's potentially that one game against Purdue that's going to be the real deciding factor. And if Indiana goes into uh, Mackey Arena and takes that, then, Man, I tell you what, it's going to be absolutely wild down in Bloomington. But I mean, Northwestern, they have you know. And we will Illinois, be there, Peyton. At Maryland, we'll be there. I know. Uh, well, no, Peyton's not going. He he told me before the show he's going to nope. let me take his place. No, nope. he's full. <laughs> so. He's full of shit. He can kiss my ass on that. I'm the one who even got these damn media credentials. So kiss my ass you, on that. You know, it'd be nice is if he actually you know took care of the guy that actually likes anything in the Big Ten. 
instead of you know, well, I guess out of his seventy-seven teams, he may, but yeah. You know, but no, I mean, even for Northwestern, though, I mean, Northwestern <laughs> has at Maryland and at Rutgers, but it's like you know, they don't have any you know any of the top really overly competitive either. So I mean, the door is wide open for the, both of those teams, and if they if Purdue ends up dropping. You know, a couple games. It's it's going to be uh, a very interesting finish for sure. It's going to be very interesting. I think Purdue wins it. I do like their besides like those last like three games. I do like the remaining of the schedule. I think they go at Maryland, even though that's going to be a tough place to play at. It's going to be a tough game. I think they win that one. They get the Ohio State game at home. I think oh they win that game. And obviously those last three games of the season is very tough. Uh, Indiana game obviously February twenty fifth. Uh, the second round matchup of that. Um, in Mackey Arena. They go at Wisconsin, which I mentioned earlier. Wisconsin, despite how Wisconsin is this year, that's always a tough place to play at. And then another game that will be in the final game of our uh, uh, season so far this year. March 5th is the Sunday game against Illinois, and Illinois is still a damn good team, and they can beat Purdue, honestly. So those last three stretch of uh, Purdue's games are very tough. And you look at Indiana's, uh, they got Northwest at Northwestern this week, which obviously that's going to be tough. They still get the rematch against Illinois in the wheel of Assembly Hall. They get the Mich- They go at the at Michigan State at Purdue. Those two games for Indiana, I think, is going to decide whether or not they have a chance of winning the Big Ten Conference this year. But I still think it's Purdue's to lose at this point. Yeah, by no means are we panicking on Purdue, but things are getting a little bit interesting coming back down to earth. Let's wrap this up real quick. Talking about Creighton, they beat UConn 56-53, run their win streak to eight in a row now, fellas. Creighton looks like the team we thought they were coming out of Maui and that we thought they were in the preseason. Um, Talk to me, Peyton, about Creighton and just how good they are playing right now. It's all Ryan Kalkbrenner. Once he came back, this team's a completely different team like they were at the start of the season. They're a half a game back out of first place. Them and Xavier right now is tied for second. They're both 11-3, and three, and Marquette is 12-3, and three, sitting at the top of a game, a half a game ahead of uh, Marquette or Clayton and Xavier. Dude, Clayton can w- still win this conference. Like we predicted in our preseason ECB rankings or our ECB magazine, we had Clayton winning the damn league, and they still can do that. They got some big games coming up this week, though. They got to win. But, man, Clayton, Shireman's so fun to win. Watch three-point shooting is just off the charts. And it's not just that. He can drive. He can hit some mid-range. Defensively, he's getting better. But Ryan Cockburn is the star of the show. He's the reason they're even in the contention to be a candidate to win the Big East this year. Hats off to them because they've turned the corner once he came back. No, 100%. I mean, I've said it, and I've said it once. I've said it numerous times. Creighton is the best eight-loss team in the country. And they're continuing to look like the team that they should have been. Uh, UConn, shout out to them. They actually, you know, are playing a little bit better, but Creighton just continues to show that, you know, they're the real deal and they're going to make a huge run for this conference. And, you know, come March, they're going to be a scary team for sure. Um, I mean, they're getting it from a lot of different areas. I mean, nobody really stood out as being a, a huge go-getter for them, you know, in this game. I mean, they only did score 56 points, but they had three guys in double figures, uh, took care of the ball pretty decently. Uh, didn't get in any kind of foul trouble and uh, and dominated the the or uh, and got they did get beat on the rebounding boards but still dominated the game or took a win they didn't really dominate I should say the the thing about uh, not Xavier I'm sorry Creighton the thing about Creighton Peyton you're you're absolutely right with Colt Brenner back it gives them a big guy to protect the rim and that can step out and shoot threes I know his percentage ain't great but still he's seven one and shooting twenty eight point six percent so it's not 
it's not terrible in comparison when you think about exactly his size and stature. The thing about Creighton right now, too, is the starting five is what is so good. Nimhard, Shireman, Kaltbrenner, Kaluma, Trey Alexander. They play the bulk of the minutes. They do the bulk of the scoring. They do the bulk of everything, and they are as good as five starting five as you're going to find in the country. You look, who are you going to foul late in a game? Who are you going to foul if you need to foul them? Because Colt Brenner, 72.4% from the foul line. Alexander, 80.2%. Shireman shoots 80%. Kaluma, 72.6%. And Ryan Nimhart shoots 83%. So of those starting five, who are you going to foul late in the game that your banker on hopefully misses one or misses a pair of them? What is going to kill Creighton, in my opinion, is when they get in foul trouble in the tournament and you have to go deeper in the bench. You know, Farabello, he is a good three-point shooter. He's not really shooting great percentage-wise this year, 30.3%, but he's shown that he has the ability to knock them down. Uh, Frederick King is another big guy. We've seen him in person. He gave good minutes off the bench against Butler when we've seen him live. But it's that depth. That is what's going to kill Creighton. But the starting five is electric. Baylor Shireman's lead him in rebounding at 8.3 from the guard spot. He is a big mismatch guard. We've known it from his days at North Dakota State. Uh, 6-7. But Creighton, another impressive win. Eight wins in a row now. You know, I think they end up winning the Big East. I don't know. After what we've seen, Xavier taking a loss to Butler. I think Creighton's the best team in the Big East. Again, like they were in the preseason. And I think they win. And I think, as we mentioned with Indiana, this Creighton team can make a Final Four. They're back on track on that. But what we're back on here is we're going to take our one and only commercial break of the run to match, pace and bills. And when we come back, we've got a big couple days here in the early part of the week to discuss a lot of conference race implications online and much more. We will be right back after this commercial break. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me. And let's get back to everything college basketball. 
Thank you for our, our good friends over Everything Pro Wrestling. We've mentioned House of College Hoops. Everybody that supports this, go check them out. Uh, we love having everybody part of the team here at Everything College Basketball and us being a part of their team as well. Before we look ahead to the, the early week showdown games here, Peyton, let's get to the real quick. The We're doing co-teams of the week from last week, and it's staying in the Big Ten. We just talked quite a bit about both teams. The co-teams of the week from last week are the Northwestern Wildcats, the Indiana Hoosiers, tied for second place in the Big Ten. Both a pair of impressive wins for both programs uh, last week. Peyton, I, I think those are good shouts, honestly. Northwestern Indiana co-teams of the week. 100%. Northwestern, they've won three in a row. Uh, they beat, uh, this week alone, they beat, they went at Ohio State, beat them 69-63. And obviously, to top it off, uh, they knocked off the number one team in the country. Come back, had to come back and do it. 19-5-1 uh, in the game, 64-58. They knocked off Purdue Sunday, yesterday. Uh, they definitely, they definitely deserve it. And Indiana, once again, they they won three in a row as well. They After they beat Purdue last Saturday, uh, they went into Rutgers, or they beat Rutgers in the Assembly Hall, got the revenge game for that, 66-60, and then had to come back and win a dogfight at Michigan, 62-61. So both teams, Corey, I think both teams deserve it. And then we've got our mid-major team of the week. Got to go to my favorite, the SoCon, the Furman Paladins, 21-6. They are on a eight-game win streak as well, tied for fifth longest in the nation with the Creighton Blue Jays, who we just discussed. Furman rolling right now. It looks like one of the better mid-major options in the country come NCAA tournament time. You know I love the SOCON dating back to when we started ECB. But let's go ahead and look ahead to the Monday through Wednesday clashes before we hit the midweek episode. Let's start with tonight. I know we're recording a day late because we went to the Michigan State-Ohio State game and the travel and everything. So tonight or last night, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, Miami. At North Carolina, Peyton, Miami in a good spot in the ACC currently towards the top of the conference and North Carolina desperately needing some momentum. They had a nice win at home against Clemson over the weekend. How are we feeling about the Hurricanes versus the Tar Heels? I love Miami's backcourt, Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, and Nigel Pack. I think all those guys are definitely uh, fantastic players, and I think Miami's playing well right now. But, man, we, we talked about it last Thursday. North Carolina really needs – they don't got too many quad one opportunities left. This is one of them. If they want to make the NCAA tournament the, this year, they, they really need to get this win. And playing in Chapel Hill, I think they get it. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. This is actually my bank on it. North Carolina takes down Miami. I think North Carolina needs to win this game. We didn't even mention they played – North Carolina played very, very well against Clemson on Saturday. Beat their ass like 91-77. to 77. Mundelikat had another double-double. And Caleb Love probably had the best uh, game, best efficient game of his entire career in North Carolina. He had like 24 points and shot really well efficiency-wise. So I think North Carolina needs to win this game, and I think they're going to do it. I think they take down Miami. I think they win 78-74. to Corey? Uh, you know, being, being in uh, a home game for North Carolina and Chapel Hill, I think uh, I think definitely you know is beneficial for them. Um, Miami, as you kind of mentioned, Peyton has an awesome backcourt uh, that has a ton of talent. 
Uh, the only thing I kind of question is, is you know, what is North Carolina going to do with uh, Baycott of getting him involved, and then also uh, Caleb Love loves, or yeah, Caleb Love loves, Caleb Love loves to. That's really hard to say. The tongue loves, twister three or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Jesus. Uh, loves to uh, take some, you know, un, unforeseen shots, uh, force some plays, just have overall bad basketball IQ. Um, I think he forces uh, forces things this game. I think he sits there and tries to control the game in the wrong tempo, and I think Miami takes the win. Uh, I'm going to go uh, a 76-69 to 69 victory from uh, the Hurricanes on the road. I, I'll put it in this terms. I think it comes down to the backcourt because, Peyton, you've mentioned Isaiah Wong, Nigel Pack, Wooga Poplar. Uh, Miami's backcourt is amongst the best in the country. And then Phil mentioned it last week, Norchad O'Meara, undersized post player, but a physical specimen beast. Him going against Baycott could be very interesting if he can contain Baycott and get him in foul trouble. Then you look at North Carolina's backcourt. We know Love, Davis. Uh, how does Leaky Black, who does Leaky Black guard? He's regarded as one of the best defenders in college basketball. Does he guard Wong or Pack? And it's going to be interesting how that matchup plays out. Um, I, I look for a key. If Pete Nance can get off in this game, if I'm talking, if he can hit a three or two, if he can go for 12, 13, 14 points, North Carolina wins this game. The pace, I think, is going to be outstanding. Both teams will want to push the action. So it could be set up for a very high-scoring game. I will say North Carolina because I think they are desperate. They're eighth in the ACC at eight and six. A win potentially in the right results ahead of them could jump them all the way up to six and only a game behind North Carolina State, maybe even potentially level or as far as the loss column goes with North Carolina State. Miami also needs to win because they're only a half game out in the loss column to Virginia and Pittsburgh at the top of the ACC. So a lot of implications going both ways here. But because North Carolina needs a win and they are at home, I'll say North Carolina squeaks out a seven, or, uh, sorry, an 82-81 victory but I feel like this is a definition of a toss-up here. I feel like it can go either way. Uh, let's go to – we just mentioned them out in the Big East. Let's go to one of the hottest teams in the country, Creighton at Providence on Tuesday evening. Peyton, we know how difficult the amp is to play in, but we also know how good Creighton has been playing. So talk us through it. Who wins this game and why? Coy, you go first because, man, this game is going to be tough for me to predict. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to stick with it. I think Creighton just is rolling in the right direction. I think, uh, I think they're continuing to get better, getting back, uh, what's his name? Big seven footer, Col seven one. What'd Col you say? Colt yeah, Colt Brown. Yeah. So getting him back just is, you know, going to be a, a huge, a huge factor to continue to help them. Um, you know, Providence is also playing well, but I just think that Creighton just has way too much going for them, um, you know, going into this game. I think Creighton continues to make a push to take the Big East Championship. And uh, so I'm going to actually take Creighton in this one on the road. Uh, I think they're going to go into the Amp and win. Peyton I think has conference uh, you Go ahead. Finish the thought. I was going to say this has major conference. I was going to say this has major conference implications on it because you look at the conference standings, Marquette 12 and three, Creighton 11 and three, Xavier 11 and three, Providence 10 and four. It's a four horse race separated by one game in the loss column. So pretty much this, 
almost as a, a title eliminator game here. The AMP is one of the more difficult places to play in college basketball. That was established last year. It is carried over into the, this year, one of the toughest home court events. Bryce Hopkins has to be great in this game. He's been great all year. He has to be great in this game because Creighton's going to throw Arthur Kaluma at him. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who defends Colt Brenner from Providence. So because of that, I don't know if Providence has enough size to slow down Colt Brenner. I could see this being a game where Colt Brenner goes for 25 and 12. Creighton, to me, goes into a very rowdy environment. Despite a probably a big performance from Bryce Hopkins, I've got Creighton winning this game. Uh, I think it'll be low scoring, so I'm going to say Creighton wins this game 65-61. Shit, man. You just don't win. I know I said about Iowa State, and then I, me and Corey ended up jinxing them. They actually took an L. We forgot to mention that. They actually took an L this week in their hometown. Their, By the way, uh, Providence lost to St. John's. They lost to St. John's this week, and that's a bad loss. Uh, yeah, I get that. But, man, they just don't lose. They're undefeated at the Amp this year. They have not lost a single game at home. Jinx them again, Peyton. Jinx them uh, again. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, Providence fans, Fires fans, don't listen to me because you're going to – you're not going to like the outcome of this one. But I think Providence wins this one. The most intriguing stat of looking on Kempom here is Providence is ninth in offensive rebounding percentage. Creighton is 17th when it comes to offensive rebounding percentage defense. So I think that's the stat. Can Providence get some second-chance opportunities if they don't score the ball well? Jared Bynum's the key, man. I think he has to good, have a good game. Bryce Hopkins is probably going to have a double-double, a low-scoring double-double. I think Providence hosts home court. It's hard to get, go against them when they're playing in the amp. Providence wins this game and a lowest scoring 70 to 67 war and keep in mind Creighton's going for the season sweep because when they played back in January 14th in Creighton Creighton won 73 67 I mean in that game uh, Trey Alexander went for 20 Colt Brenner went for 21 and 7 in that game uh, again who from Providence is big enough and physical. They're going to be physical, so that's not fair. Who's going to be big enough to slow Kalkbrenner down from having another monster game? I just don't think it happens. So I'm going Creighton with the season sweep of Providence and continue their charge towards the Big East title and in the process now knocking Providence out and give them the first home loss in the Amp this year. Let's stay inside the Big East because on Wednesday, we've got Xavier at Marquette. Two teams yet again at the top of the conference race. This very well could be the decider in the conference championship who wins the Big East. Corey, I'll come to you first on this one. Xavier at Marquette should be a fun one. Who do you got? Man, this is going to be a great game, I think. Um, I mean, this has all the conference implications basically on it. Uh, Xavier's shown some really high highs and some, you know, kind of mid-pack. Uh, Marquette shows the, you know, Shaka Smart has them in a great place. Um, I think the, the biggest deciding factor is this one's a home game up in Milwaukee for Marquette. And I think, I think that's going to kind of sway the pendulum that way. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be an extremely tight game. But I'm going to take Marquette in this one, 76-73. And the only reason the, the really deciding factor is just because it is a home game. So... I think uh, I think Xavier drops uh, to what is it eleven and four. Uh, Marquette moves up to twelve and three, and I think you know takes a little bit of the lead. 
uh, feel a little bit better about themselves than the top of the conference. Josh, I think the deciding factor in this game is which defense plays better. Oh, thank I think, you. T- you, I th- you tucked the words out of my mouth. That's exactly I think Marquette's, my key. I think Marquette's defense is just slightly better. I mean, if you look at Kempom, they're both efficiency ratings. I mean, Marquette's defense is ranked 66 and defensive efficiency. Xavier's is ranked 100th. Both teams don't defend the ball well from three. Marquette's giving up 35.2% from the three-point line. Xavier's not much better. They're giving up almost 37% from the three-point line. If you look at offensively, both teams are top 10 offensively, uh, Xavier's eighth, Marquette's third, and they have two different type of philosophies when it comes to the offensive game. A lot of Xavier's points is coming off three-pointers. They're second in the country in three-point percentage, 40.1. Marquette, they shoot 35.7, which is very average, but the number one in two-point percentage. So it's just the complete opposite of the spectrum. I think Marquette's going to be more consistent. I think the defense is going to be slightly better. Tyler Colick is probably the best point guard maybe in the country, but he's definitely the best point guard in the Big East Conference. And I think Marquette holds home court. Defensively, they going to be better. Marquette wins this in a very high-scoring game, 85-81. to Marquette gets the job done. It's like you read my mind because you talk all my talking points. Literally, the game's going to be cited by the defense. Both are very subpar defensive teams, and both are an incredible offensive teams, as you mentioned. Marquette's third in adjusted efficiency. Xavier's eighth. You mentioned Xavier shoots the three ball, second best in the country at 40%, and Marquette has the number one two-point percentage defense. Plus, they both have two of the top, if not the two top contenders for Big East Player of the Year. Marquette has Tyler Colick and Xavier has Sully Boom. So there's a lot of parallels here and contrasting styles. But I'm, I'm going to boil it down like you mentioned. Whose defense can make the stops when needed? Whose defense late in the game under the final four or five minutes can get three or four stops strung together in a row who's going to win this game? And I think that's Marquette. I think if Xavier relies too much on the three-point shooting, if they're hitting, then yes, they win this game. But if they go a couple of possessions in a row and missing with Marquette, the way they score at the rim and inside the arc, Marquette wins this game. Exciting game, fun game at the top of the Big East Conference. I think this is a special night for Tyler Colick. Isaiah Ogadaro is a tremendous player. I like this Marquette. I like both teams, by the way. But I think Marquette at home holds home court and extends a little bit of the Big East lead. I'm going Marquette by five in this game because I think they get enough stops down the end. The final game, the preview in the early midweek part of this section of this here this week, Alabama, number one, Alabama at Tennessee on Wednesday evening. It is a massive tilt. Tennessee, we've talked about coming off two long row off buzzer beaters in both games. Alabama continues to roll teams. Peyton, can Tennessee? hold home court, and stifle Alabama's offense? Hell no. Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> I, ain't saying, I ain't saying the other damn point because I, I'm an LSU fan of football, so I can't say the other damn point. I don't want to be caught on tape saying that, so I ain't going to say that. But anyway, I know. I think Alabama wins this game. Uh, Tennessee, I don't like their offensive firepower. Offensively, they're not consistent. And the biggest difference in this, yes, Tennessee's number one in defense, but Alabama's fifth. 
They're just as good defensively as Tennessee is, and they're way better offensively. And they're going to have the best player on the floor in Braden Miller. Alabama wins this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a close physical game. But I think late down the stretch, a guy like Braden Miller and Ryan Griffin coming off the bench, I mean, those guys are just going to make plays late down the stretch. Bama wins this game 84-79. to Corey, the, if Tennessee's offense struggles to score against other teams, Alabama's size is really going to bother them. Uh, I think Tennessee's just got to have a special performance. The building's going to be electric. I'm sure it's going to be packed out and Thompson bowling. But I don't see a pathway to victory for Tennessee in this game because, like I said, if they struggle scoring against other teams, then I don't see what they're going to do against Alabama. I've got the tide by 10. Yeah, no, you you mentioned it perfectly. I mean, Tennessee puts up fifty one points and a half against Missouri and still loses. Um, I mean, they're they're you know top defense, but at the same time, Alabama just has so many weapons. Alabama's going to get out. They're going to run. They're going to take the shots that you know what is it every fifteen seconds you know into the shot clock, and they're going to absolutely just have way too many options. They have size. They have shooters. They have ways to score around the rim. They have you know everything that you could ask for to be a top contending team. And I, I don't think that Tennessee just has the offensive power to, that's going to be consistent in this game. Um, they're going to have to have the best shooting night of the year uh, by a ton. Um, and it's like, you know, I just, I just don't see them having that. I think, you know, I think Peyton's horrible singing job predicts this game perfectly, that it's going to be a horrible game for Tennessee. And I think Alabama takes the win. And I think you're right. I think it's going to be a, at least a 10 to 15 point win for uh, the Crimson Tide. So let's wrap this thing up. We did it on episode 136. We did our Big 12 fantasy draft teams. We're now moving to the SEC, or I guess staying with SEC, talking about Alabama and Tennessee. Peyton, who uh, who gets first pick, dear? Did you decide who how we're doing the rotations here? Yep, you get first pick. I get second. Corey goes uh-huh. last. It's like shooting fish pick. in a barrel, bait. I'm taking. I've got. Pick. I'd be dumb if I didn't take Brandon Miller. So give me Brandon Miller. Yep. I figured he'd go number one. Um, I go second here. Let me get. Let me get Kobe Brown from Missouri. Oh, I love that pick. Love that pick. Corey. In that case, I'll take. Uh, I'll take Ricky Council from Arkansas. All right, and you get the next one. I keep forgetting about this back-to-back stuff. Um, Corey, do you not know how a snake draft works? I, I know, oh, I know, geez, I know. Give me uh, Colin Castleton out of Florida. You bitch. Nice. Ah, all right. Let me get let me get a point guard here. Let me get Mark Sears. <sighs> okay. So I've got uh, Brandon Miller. I can go either option here. I can go big or a guard around him. I, I, I like the guards. I like spreading the floor out and doing that whole deal. Um, Damn. Let's go Kaysan Wallace. He, he can be my point guard. And then who can I pair around them? There's a lot of options here. You know what? I'll go with an Arkansas player just because I think it'd be fun him and Miller playing. Give me another freshman. I'm going three freshmen here. I'm going Anthony Black. Damn, okay. Uh, well, let me get the other freshman. I don't give a shit if he's injured or not. He actually just came back. Let me get Nick Smith Jr. Corey? 
Give me uh are we gonna take Ziggler out of Tennessee? Okay. Uh, and then um give me uh did anybody take KJ Williams out of LSU? All right, I'll take uh, KJ Williams out of Tennessee or out of LSU. I mean, sorry. Oh, I need a three man here who can defend and get some buckets himself. Since Josh already took Blade in the middle for me, um, which I figured that since he had the first pick. Let me go Jordan Wright from Vanderbilt. All right, my last two picks uh, to round it out. I'm going to go another freshman. I, I don't care his attitude problems, but this lineup would be absolutely long, filthy, and nasty. I'm taking Gigi Jackson to play at my four man. And then my center, I got to go big Oscar, despite how he's been playing this year or not. I, I could have went Tolo Smith, but I'm going to go Oscar. I need rebounders because I'm have plenty of shot makers on this team. All right, Corey. Well, once we play Josh's team, let's just get him on the pick and roll. And let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just tack Oscar every time. No, because no, with my size and athleticism, I'm going zone against you. Well, you okay, that's fine. Oscar in the blender. You can go zone. I'll tell you what, Oscar, he might have to play 15 minutes a game because he's going to foul out every damn time because <laughs> I'm going to attack his ass every damn possession. Uh, you mentioned him, Josh. So why not my center? I'm going to go Tolu Smith. Great pick. Is uh, Noah Clowney still available? He is yeah. still available. All right. There's my uh, there's my last pick to round it out. Dude, I love my team. Four freshmen around one super senior. Uh, Kason Wallace. We've got uh, Anthony Black. Brandon Miller, Gigi Jackson, and Oscar Sheba. That is a long athletic team right there. Hold on, Peyton. Can we just can we just pull out the you know it's a, a typical Kentucky guy with four freshmen. But oh, yeah. look at Purdue. The freshmen do finally choke and fall apart towards the end of the season. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, agree. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty confident. Hey, by the way, I do want to ask you guys what's your prediction for IU versus Northwestern? Just because it is a, a big time rematch in, in Evanston. Man, uh, I think IU is going to win that game. I think they're going the road and beat Northwestern. I think Jalen Hutchfino has a good game, and I think he actually takes care of the ball, which he hasn't done in the last three games. Um, I think he better hit some shots, too. Free throw line is important for them. It's going to be tough, but I think I like the Hoosiers in this one, and a close one. I, I talked to our, our good friend of the show, um, Johnny Stroud, about this actually today. We discussed a little bit, and – I don't think Northwestern is a team. They've came off this emotional high. They rushed the floor, which for them makes sense. They're a program that should rush the floor. Beating Purdue, I don't know if they're consistent enough to do it twice, if that makes sense, in another emotional game. Battle for second place in the conference. Uh, Indiana's going to attack them differently than Northwestern did. Or Sorry, Purdue. So as long as Indiana takes care of the basketball, Indiana wins this game. If Indiana starts throwing the ball over the court like Purdue did, Northwestern wins. But I have enough faith in this IU team. IU gets the job done. Like, I think it gets the job done. And um, secures for sure 100% second place in the conference. But, you know, I think that's going to be a fun one. Who would ever thought that IU at Northwestern would have this many stakes on it? You know what no, I'm saying? Absolutely. I just, yeah, no, absolutely. I just was curious what your prediction would be. One last thing that Phil just dropped the ECB top 25 poll real quick, uh, one through 25. Alabama's the new number one, Houston two, Purdue three, UCLA four, Kansas five, Texas six, Virginia seven, Baylor eight, Arizona nine, Tennessee stays 10th somehow. I, I just, I can't believe it. 
Marquette 11, Indiana 12, Gonzaga 13, Miami 14, Xavier 15, Kansas State 16, Creighton 17, Iowa State 18, St. Mary's 19, San Diego State 20, TCU 21, Providence 22, North Carolina State 23, UConn 24, Pitt 25. Listen, I love our voters, but they did the same thing that the AP poll did. Tennessee lost twice this last week. They have no business staying in the top 10. Just my humble opinion. Um, I didn't think TCU, they've lost, what, three in a row now. They shouldn't have stayed in the top 25. Um, Creighton, I thought, should have been a little higher. There's North a couple Western of nitpicks there. I, I, Where the hell is Northwestern? I, I was going to say Northwestern. I, like I, I voted Oklahoma State. We didn't even talk about Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's starting to play a lot better right now. Um, they've won five in a row right now. So, the, I mean, it is what it is. We have a great collection of voters. I appreciate the hell out of them. But, yeah, I don't know what everybody's seeing in Tennessee to keep them 10th. Uh, it's all good. We're going to schedule a committee meeting this week, and we're going to figure this shit out. Lake Northwestern, <laughs> damn it, they deserve it. 100%. But, 100%. But that's neither here nor there. I love our poll. It gets great job. I mean, I love it. I'm not bashing. I'm not saying anything. I'm just I'm so confused with Tennessee staying 10. But – that's the way the poll when you have multiple voters and a lot of great people that know college basketball, so I hey. trust their opinion as well. Hey, you knew who also loves polls? What's that? Rick Pitino. <laughs> shout out Rick Pitino. By the way, we didn't even do it real quick. Bank, bank on it shout outs. <laughs> real, real quick, guys. Bank on it, and I'll go with mine real quick. Bank on it. Thursday night, Maryland beats Purdue to make the Big Ten race even spicier. All right, bank on it. Baylor goes 2-0 and this week. Fuck you. That's the only one I've said. This That's one. Last episode, I was we like three minutes in with an F-bomb. Now, that's when Alan 30 minutes in. So, hey, I'm getting better. That's the only one I'm saying. But my bank, I've already said my bank on it. North Carolina beats uh, Miami today, tonight. And then shout-outs real quick because we got to get out of here. Uh, Peyton, real quick, shout-outs. Uh, I got five shout-outs, so I'll do them real quick. First shout-out, Matty Seacrest goes, or Matty Seacrest, sorry, from Villanova. 50 points, 10 rebounds versus Seton Hall. She, in the game against Seton Hall, she had, like I said, 50 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists. She became the all-time leading scorer in Big East women's basketball history for a regular season conference game. Got buckets, and what a hell of a college player. She's the nation's leading scorer in, co- in women's college basketball. Shout-out to her. Next shout-out, Kennesaw State. Got their first, uh, I forgot who they beat this week, but it's their first. First 21 season in program history. Three years ago, there was one in 28. Shout out to them. Third shout out. I just mentioned to him. Chris Collins. They got Northwestern currently sitting tied for second place with Indiana in the Big Ten after the big win against number one Purdue. Piss some respect from Chris Collins' name and Northwestern. Damn it. Right Northwestern, they should have been, they should have deserved it. Fourth shout out. Go, stay, go back to the women's game. The best college basketball team in the country, the defending champs, number one, South Carolina, beat the living shit out of number three ranked LSU. 88 to 64. Pit a beating down on them. I can't see a way where South Carolina does not go back to back this year because, man, Aaliyah Boston's so damn talented. And Zion Cook put up some numbers in this game, too. Shout out to her. A last shout out. Shout out to Wisconsin, man. Apparently, they're a blue blood. So shout out to them. <laughs> Yeah, CBS had him listed as blue, but Corey, real quick, your shout-outs. Uh, shout-out number one, uh, Boo Booey from uh, Northwestern, 26 points against the, the former number one team in the country. 
Uh, a huge game out of him, led him to victory, and then also celebrated the right way, celebrating with the fans down on the court. Uh, saw him taking pictures and doing everything, celebrating the right way. Uh, secondly, shout out to Indiana women's basketball, uh, highest ranking in uh, program history at number two now. Uh, moved to what twenty three and one, uh, and also knocked off Iowa and Caitlin Clark, who is absolutely a beast, probably the best player to ever. Oh yeah, awesome game. Indiana just they continue to fire. They hit threes. They do all the little things, and they just continue to seem like they have uh, more stamina down the stretch and just run teams. Um, but no, Caitlin Clark is an absolute beast. Probably one of the best women's basketball players to ever play the game at the college level. Um, so shout out to Indiana women's. And then shout-out to Alabama taking the first-ever program ranking at number one. Uh, or what was it in 20 years, or was it first-ever? 20 first years. First-ever. Uh, uh, 20 years, yeah. Yeah, so first time since, what, 2002, 2003. And uh, shout-out to them for, you know, proving that they're the best team in the country, like we said a few weeks ago when some fans got very upset about that. But shout-out to them for, you know, officially becoming number one where they deserve to be at and, pres- and presumably – Playing the be the best, so shout out to those three. Yeah, real quick, mine. Shout out Joey Hauser, twenty two points, eight rebounds in the win over Ohio State. We were there in person. He is money and changes Michigan State. I'm telling you right now, Michigan State's getting better. You do not want to see the Spartans in your bracket if you're a one seed or a two seed, depending on how Michigan State ends up seeding wise. Um, shout out Sydney Parrish from the IU women's team. By the way, her coming in from Oregon has changed the dichotomy of. Indiana women's hoops, great player. This Indiana team's fun. And staying on the women's game, shout out women's college basketball. We've been one of the only publications since ECB started. We don't do it as much as we should, but we do show love when it's needed. Women's game has some fun players, some fun teams. We enjoy watching and covering it for you when we get the opportunity. So shout out the women's game. Lastly, this is like the third time this year, but he keeps doing crazy shit. Antoine Davis, 41 points uh, the other night. I think he's now only 128 points from breaking the legendary Pistol Pete Maravich's all-time NCAA record. I hope he gets it because that would be insane. But, guys, wrapping up episode 137, I hope you've enjoyed this extended version of the podcast. Remember, when we come at you here in midweek for episode 138, we'll talk a little bracketology. It's that time of year to talk and see what the bracket's looking like after midweek clashes. We're going to talk more about the game that we just previewed and more happenings. Could be some upsets, could be whatever. We'll cover all that more on episode 138 in the midweek special. Hopefully Phil is back with us. But until episode 138 in the midweek show, we hope you guys enjoyed this one. Go check out the Twitter at ECB Podcast 10 if you aren't already. Go join the Facebook group. Just type in uh, everything college basketball in the search bar. Join if you're not a member yet. And as always, leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And until episode 138 in the midweek special, for Peyton, for Corey, for our comrade Phil, who's not here with us, and everybody else, thank you. And we hope you have the rest of best of <laughs> we hope you have a great rest of your evening. We will catch you down the road.